You're like, okay, preacher, probably not going to be exciting. Joshua chapter number 12. Did you ever think that you'd have your little piece of heaven right here on the corner of this <laughs> snow-forsaken road? <laughs> Amen. Sure is good to be in church. When you find your place there in Joshua chapter 12, why don't you stand? We'll read this uh, invigorating account of history. Joshua chapter 12, the Bible says here, beginning in verse 1, Now these are the kings of the land which the children of Israel smote, and possessed their land on the other side Jordan, toward the rising of the sun. From the river Arnon, unto Mount Hermon, unto the plain on the east, Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon, and ruled from Aroer, which is upon the bank of the river Arnon, and from the middle of the river, and from half Gilead, even unto the river Jabbok, which is the border of the children of Ammon. Now, I know Scorby does a much better job, and he flows better, but I'm going to try to get through this, amen. I think it's important that we read this scorecard this morning. <clears throat> and from the plain to the sea of the Chinneroth on the east, under the sea of the plain, even the salt sea on the east, the way to Beth Jeshimon, and from the south under Ashduf Pisgah, and the coast of Og, king of Bashan, which was of the remnant of the giants that dwelled at Ashtaroth and at Adrei, and reigned in Mount Hermon and in Salca, and all Bashan, and to the border of the Geshurites, and the Maacathites, and half Gilead, the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Them did Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel smite. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it for a possession unto the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He's describing what took place on the other side, Jordan, for those two and a half tribes. You got that, right? All right, move forward. And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel smote on this side, Jordan, on the west, from Baalgad in the valley of Lebanon, even in the Mount Halak that goeth up to Seir, that's Edom, by the way, Esau, which Joshua gave unto the tribes of Israel for possession according to their divisions, in the mountains, and in the valleys, and in the plains, and in the springs, and in the wilderness, and in the south country, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezer, one. The king of Deber, one. The king of Geder, one. The king of Hormel, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adullam, one. The king of Makeda, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tepua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Aphak, one. The king of Lasheron, one. The king of Madon won, the king of Hazar won, the king of Shimron Meron, and the king of Aksaph won. The king of Tanak won, the king of Megiddo won, the king of Kedesh won, the king of Jachnim of Carmel won, the king of Dor and the coast of Dor won, the king of the nations of Gilgal won, the king of Terzah won. All the kings, 30 and 1. You say, why'd you read so fast? You didn't want me to read any slower, did you, amen? Isn't that how you do it? <laughs> Amen. Oh boy, Brother Brown, help us and pray for the message this morning. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now here's a rather dull chapter to say the least. Amen. Nobody shouted. Nobody was moved by the Spirit. And nobody was reckon, uh, nobody I reckon was compelled to go to an altar. But that's okay. We're in northern Michigan. Amen. Now this week uh, was rather iconic. It was uh, nonetheless interesting and altogether incredible as the Michigan Wolverines football team decisively won the national championship title over Washington. You see how I just slid that in there? It's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> I mean, Israel is now the national championship, right? I mean, they're the champs. It's 31 to nothing. You see it? 31 to nothing. <clears throat> what I thought was interesting, for whatever it's worth, when the offensive and defensive players of the game were interviewed, they both thanked God and given them the ability and the faith to do what they did. You say, well, they didn't mean it. How do you know? I don't know. <laughs> and when they interviewed uh, everyone's against Harbaugh, he not only gave credit to God, but he gave credit to the Holy Spirit and then the team for not only the victory, but the entire season. So whether or not you're a Michigan Wolverine fan, I don't even care. I would say that those three men that were interviewed on the most viewed college game in history and everyone heard that their victory came from God, their faith, the Holy Spirit, and their determination to fight and win as a team. I don't know about you, I don't really care for sports. I don't get wrapped up in statistics, I don't know everybody's name, I don't know everybody's number. If I do, I ask my wife or Brother Brian. I mean, I can sit down and watch the Lions, especially now that they're winning, amen. But I don't get wrapped up in it. You say, why? Are you against it? No, I'm not for it or against it. I enjoy it if I have time to, and if not, I shut it off. And if you stand in front of me, I won't get upset. <laughs> right? <laughs> say, preacher, just shut up and preach. And Joshua chapter 12 is the scorecard of a winner. That's what I see. Joshua chapter 12 is the scorecard of a winner. And uh, I sure do like the idea of being a winner. I don't know anybody here that says, I enjoy being a loser. Like, preacher, we need to talk to you, but no, okay. Nobody here likes the idea of being a loser. Uh, whether or not you are the greatest at any sport or competition you did, you did not want to lose. But there has to be a loser. Not everybody gets a trophy. In this case, everyone gets a cemetery plot. <clears throat> the score is 31 to nothing. And although we've covered some of these in length, what I'd like to preach about today is how to be a winner. How to be a winner. Uh, when you uh, learn about teams, you, uh, you know, Michigan uh, celebrates their, their national championship and so forth. And trust me, this is as sporty as I get. We'll hit this thing and we'll move on. But you have to look back and see what was done. How did they achieve the victory? Well, you know, of course, God and their faith and the Holy Spirit. But you know what? God does expect effort in the Christian life. All right? But I want to I preach about being a winner. And, I, and I, uh, I'm not noted for being a very positive preacher, so I'll balance it out. So I'll give you the sugar stick message this morning, how to be a winner. And if you come back tonight, I'll preach on how to be a loser. Amen? And they're both in the Bible. But I'm going to preach on how to be a winner this morning. And I like being a winner. 
Uh, my senior year, we won our conference, five games. That's the only games we won, but it don't matter. We won it, and we lost every non-conference game in football, but we were the winners. You say, why was that so important? Because the previous year, we went 0-9. <laughs> we were the losers. So that victory, my senior year, was very sweet. I really like to preach this for a minute about being a winner, specifically on the battlefield, being a winner on the battlefield. And I want to give you some things, and like I said to some of you, some of these we've already hit, so I'm going to hit them and move on quickly. But this is a review of the scorecard of Israel's campaigns, the northern and the southern campaigns. I want you to see here, if you're going to be a winner in the Christian life, you have to remember some things. You have to remember, number one, that Jesus Christ is your captain. Amen? Jesus Christ is your captain. Look at Joshua chapter 5. I want to go back through these. They're not games by any means, but you can see the theme that we're trying to create here, these battles, these campaigns. Uh, Joshua chapter 5 and verse 15, the Bible says, And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now was Joshua in charge? He was primarily in charge of Israel's army, but you've got to remember that Jesus Christ is your captain. You might be a pastor, you might be a youth uh, worker, you, I don't care what you are, you have to remember if you're going to be a winner that you're not number one, even when you win. Jesus Christ is your captain. Now notice this in verse 15, it's the captain that's given the orders. In verse 15, you know what his orders are? Take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. And not only is our captain the one giving us orders over there in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, you can turn there if you want. You have to remember that our captain is the captain because he's perfect. Listen, you and I might be complete in him, complete in Jesus Christ in that matter, but we're not sinless. But Jesus Christ is perfect. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, says that he became perfect through the things which he suffered. So, oh, preacher, man, if perfection was based upon suffering, man ought to be fourth part of the Trinity. Oh, stop it. Jesus Christ is our captain. He's the one that gives the orders, and he is the only one that's perfect in that regards. Not only that, but our captain, he is the one that gives us orders. He's perfect. And I recall there in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, he is the one, our captain is the one that draws men. You know, so you know what draws men here? It's not my personality. Don't everybody laugh at once, amen. It's not my ability to do this, that, or the other, prepare, so forth and so on. What draws men is our captain. It's Jesus Christ. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, you see David. He's one of the greatest types of Christ in the Bible. And he's over the cave of Doom. And men were gathered thither unto him. And there's about 400 men. And every one of those men were a mess. They were in debt. They were in distress. And they were discontented. Now somewhere along the line, every one of you fall into that category. <laughs> Whether you want to admit it or not. Some of you are just not happy today. Some of you in debt. And some of you are just flat stressed out. But nonetheless, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that drew you to him. That's our captain. He draws men. He gives the orders. And he is perfect. He is perfect. You've got to remember, you're going to have a winning season. If you're going to have a winning Christian life and be a winner on the battlefield, 
you got to remember Jesus Christ is the captain. I remember my senior year, uh, the, I don't know why, the used to, captain team used to be one, right? But now it's like they have a bunch of captains. Uh, but, you know, there can only be one captain in the Christian life, and it has to be Jesus Christ. Because if there's multiple captains, then how can multiple people call the shots? has to be Jesus Christ. You see, inside every person there's a throne. And either you're on that throne, and Jesus Christ is at your feet, or, you're on the th- or he's on the throne, and you're at his feet. Which one is it this morning? I'm saying if you want to be a winner in the Christian life, you want to be a winner on the battlefield, instead of getting hacked to pieces all the time, you're going to have to remember that Jesus Christ is your captain. Let me give you the number two here. If you want to be a winner on the battlefield, you got to remember this. God's ideas of fighting looks ridiculous to men. God's ideas of fighting looks ridiculous to man. Look at Joshua chapter 6. God is not going to do things the way this world does it. God, the world does not say, let's all get together in one building on a Sunday morning and have someone scream at you. The Lord's like, no, the world is like, no, let's all get in a stadium and scream at everybody else. <laughs> we picked up a little bit last night of uh, Brother Morgan. I, I hope he's feeling better, but uh, the, the Chiefs game there, he loves Chiefs there. And man, it was negative four. And the real field was like negative 28. And uh, man, uh, they had guys out there with their shirts off. Negative 28. Uh, you see in the crowd, everyone's mustache had icicles in it. That's where, yeah. That's cold. And the world says we ought to celebrate uh, our gods by packing out in a stadium and screaming and uh, drinking beer and uh, being obscene and absurd and spending ridiculous amounts of money and what we enjoy. God says, no, why don't you pick a day and you get together and I'll have someone preach the fire out of everything and throw everything they can. He'll throw pews at you if you can. He'll throw the kitchen sink at you. And then if it's what I say, you say amen. <laughs> no, wild. But uh, God's idea of fighting looks ridiculous. Look at Joshua chapter 6 and verse 5. Now, this is crazy stuff. But if you want to be a winner on the battlefield, you've got to realize God's ways of fighting ain't the way this world's going to fight. Joshua chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says, And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, not the restaurant, but the actual ram's horn, amen, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Now, that's the battle of Jericho, right? We've been through that. We preach through that. But it seems ridiculous. Why? Verse 3, Joshua chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, let's walk around the city. We're going to defeat it by walking around it. That's stupid. Right? Armies hide. Armies take up strategic positions. Armies gather where they think is the strongest, and the Lord says, no, I just go walk around the city. That's ridiculous. Now, as it seems ridiculous, it sounds ridiculous. Verse 5, make a long blast with a ram's horn. We're going to blow our horn. Okay, great. And not only does it seem ridiculous, but its strategy is ridiculous. Remember, Israel cannot see in. But everybody else can see where Israel's at. And the Lord says in verse 6, And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. There is no general. There is no general alive that would say, Let's all compass something roundabout. We don't know where the enemy's at. And we're just going to run in willy-nilly. See, that strategy is ridiculous. 
And I'm just telling you that God's way of fighting, if you're going to be a winner, God's way of fighting is not going to be the way this world is. God's way of fighting is going to seem ridiculous. It's going to be ridiculous to you. you got to remember that. So when God says go fight the battle and uh, you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit and you fight your flesh, this world goes, what are you doing that for? I mean, why, why are you not giving yourself what you want? Well, why are you spending time in prayer? Well, that's how you fight. The best way to fight is on your knees. The best way to fight is taking that book, believing that book, and using that book. Why do you have a Bible if you don't use it? It's a good question, right? I mean, do you, you either have the Word of God, and it's the sword of the Spirit, we'll preach about that in a minute, or you don't. I, I, all these guys that don't know where the Bible's at, I feel sorry for them. But at the same time, I know where the Word of God is. I have a copy of it right here. I believe my Bible is inspired, God-breathed. Well, what good is that if I don't use it? Oh, I've got the perfect Word of God. You use, did you use the No, but I have it. <laughs> That's like polishing your Glocks and never firing them, you know? That's great. Pretty. And they're pretty. Ooh, yeah, ooh. Well, let me give you number three. If you want to be a winner on the battlefield in the Christian life, you always have to remember this. Worldly goods belong to the Lord. Remember, we're reviewing the scorecard of Israel. Israel, that's God's chosen people. The score is 31 to nothing. Now, I understand in the first half at AI, they're getting their tails kicked 36 to nothing. I understand that, but they came back and they rallied at 12,000 to 36. I think Israel won. You'll get that in a minute. Joshua chapter 6, verse 19, worldly goods belong to the Lord. The Bible says, but all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasure of the Lord. Now remember this, this is practical preaching here. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, did the Lord say that he would supply all your need? I'm thankful for that. He doesn't supply all your greed but it'll supply all your need. Now, not only that, I read in my Bible that God not only supplies your need, but it'll supply some of your wants too. Isn't that a blessing? You're like, oh, preacher, you're going to draw a real hard line. Like food and raiment. I know it says that. But here in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, God even had individuals supply some of Paul's wants. The Lord is not heartless. The Lord is very reasonable. He knows that you need things. He knows that you want some things. And if you had everything you wanted, you'd be a disaster. So God, if you want to be a winner, you've got to remember the worldly goods belong to the Lord. Philippians 2.25, the Bible says, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. When you love somebody, don't you try to minister to their wants? I mean, sometimes, right? You know, we'll have uh, preachers come in and some of the ladies will do something really nice, you know. Give them some food that they probably shouldn't have, you know. <laughs> but uh, doesn't your wife do that for you every once in a while? Minister to your wants? Don't you do that for her every once in a while? Amen. Minister to, she doesn't have to have it, but, you know, you just went ahead and did it anyways. But you got to remember, worldly goods belong to the Lord. God intended us to be content, according to Paul, 1 Timothy 6, 8, with, Food and raiment. Now, that's a difficult verse. I believe we all believe it, amen, because it's in there. But ain't none of us had to live it. <laughs> amen? 
because there's been many days where I had plenty of food and plenty of raiment, but I was a mess because I didn't have something else. You say, what are you saying? You want to be a winner? You've got to remember that worldly goods belong to the Lord. And the moment, the moment you let worldly goods get a hold of you, you're headed for trouble. You say, how so? 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.10, the Bible says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and perceives themselves through with many sorrows. Listen, when you let worldly goods get a hold of you, it's not wrong to have worldly goods, but when they finally have you, that's when you're headed for trouble. You say, well, how do you know if a worldly good has you? Can you live without it? No, I can't. I guess it's got you then. See, once you have worldly goods, and usually what happens is this. You want more <laughs> because you think you deserve what you got. Let me tell you what, I don't deserve what I got. If I deserve, if I got what I deserve, I'd be in hell and so would you. But you got to remember, you're going to be a winner in a Christian life and on the battlefield, you got to remember that worldly goods belong to the Lord. Let me give you this one here, number four. If you're going to be a winner this year, remember we're trying to keep it simple. Trying to keep it simple. We're reviewing the scorecard of a winner, the nation of Israel. Always remember that if you want victory, there must be complete obedience. Now, I don't know about you, there's a handful of things that I want victory in my life this year in 2024. And I don't know whether or not you made any resolutions. It doesn't matter to me per se. But hopefully if you desired and made some goals to change some things, you'd like some victory in certain areas of your life. And victory requires complete obedience. Complete obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua chapter 6 uh, look here at verse, uh, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 7, verse 11. 7, verse 11. Of course, this is dealing with Achan. Verse 11, the Bible says, Israel has sinned, and they have, also transgressed my, uh, they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and assembled also, and they've put it even among their stuff. You see that? Uh, if you're going to get victory, and we know that uh, AI come along and whip the fire out of them in the first half, right? Why? There wasn't complete obedience. You had someone, uh, someone lined up off sides. They did. And they knew it. And they were hoping the, the referee wouldn't see it. Well, the uh, Lord sees everything. And he'll see you too. Now, the reason Israel got skunked in the first half of that battle was simple. Achan's disobedience. Amen? Now, the good thing about the Lord is he'll give you a second chance, but here in the Old Testament, this fellow didn't get a second chance. Aren't you glad you and I get a second chance? Third chance, fourth, fifth to the second power, amen? Aren't you glad God's God of many chances? Because if he wasn't, we would all be out of here. This, there'd be nobody preaching, there'd be nobody in the building if God wasn't a God of many chances. I'm thankful for that. I don't try to take the grace of God and put a, a clean glove on a dirty hand, but I'm thankful for many, many chances. The reason Israel got skunked in the first uh, half of the battle was Israel's disobedience, but the right path is always complete obedience. You've got to remember that. You say, uh, that's simple? Yeah, that's simple. You want to be a winner this year, 2024? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Believe the book that you read, and when the Lord reveals light to you, obey the light that he gives you. Where you get into trouble is incomplete obedience, and then you don't obey the light he gives you, that light turns into lightning. 
You say, I just don't agree and I don't think. And that's, amen, that's the truth. You don't think. Just read it. Just believe it. And let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do. Complete obedience. Let's move on. Uh, number five, you can be defeated when there's sin in the camp. If you want to be victorious, you've got to remember, you can be defeated when there's sin in the camp. That's Joshua 7, 11, 12. We just read that. Now, here's how that thing goes. Achan sins. That's Joshua 7, 1, right? That's why they lost in the first half. You're all right with me using this terminology, right? You get the picture. We're, we're America. The gods of the Gentiles are sports, sex, money, and education. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> But Achan sins in verse 1. He took the accursed thing. And what happens? Joshua 7 verse 5. After Achan sins, Israel suffers. And you've got to remember, Christian, you can be defeated when there's sin in the camp. Never forget about that. So Achan sins, Israel suffers, and then what happens? Well, Joshua 7 25, Achan gets stoned. I mean, with stones. <laughs> We're in Michigan. You've got to explain that every once in a while. You know what I mean? But uh, Achan, he's stoned with stones, and he dies. And because uh, uh, he's stoned and dies, Israel's finally successful in battle in Joshua chapter 8, verse 25 to 30. And that's where I come up with the final score of Israel, uh, 12,000, and Ai, 36. Pretty good victory, amen? It's sad that they got 36, uh, they killed 36 men, but the Bible tells you that uh, the men of Ai were 12,000, 12,000, all wiped out one day, just like that. Now, I want to move on. I want to tell you this. If you want to be a winner in 2024, you always have to remember this. We preached on this last week, but I'm going to hit it and move on. You have to remember that the battles get bigger and harder as you go along. The battles get bigger and harder as you go along. Look at Joshua chapter 11. This is the scorecard of Israel, the nation of Israel, undefeated. Now, some Christians, they can have a bad first half. But uh, you go ahead and be like this Michigan team and you go back to the locker room and you get chewed out and get a fierce rebuke by the coach and come back out and you play a better second half. Amen? That's what you need. You need to make changes. You don't be so set in your ways and this is just the way you always done it. You can't change. You know, this is the way mama did it and this is the way daddy did it and grandpa did it and whoever the man on the moon did it. Go back to the locker room, get chewed out and make changes and come back and, and do better. Be victorious. And uh, <clears throat> here it says... Uh, in Joshua chapter 11, verse 5, the Bible says, When all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. That's a northern campaign there. That's the biggest confederacy that Israel's ever seen yet. So in verse 5, you've got to remember, they get harder as you grow. If you look at 11, 22, and 23, we're not going to stay long here. Not only do they get harder as they go, but they get harder towards the end of your life. Because in verse 21, here's the giants, right? Verse 21. And then verse 21, also the giants are where? They're in the mountains. And you know what the mountains are. The mountains are a picture of you trying to, trying to uh, draw closer to Jesus Christ, you trying to have a better relationship with the Lord, you like Moses climbing up the mountain with God, going up there and taking time, spending time with him. When you get up there, guess what happens? <laughs> the giants are there. <laughs> and the battles are tougher and they're harder. And you got to remember those things. That's number six. I'm going to give you this one, number seven. You want to be a winner this year? I want to be a winner. you got to remember this, Joshua chapter 8, verse 15. Self-confidence on grounds of past experience is a disaster. Self-confidence on the grounds of past experience is a disaster. I want to go back to that last one real quick here. I want to read this. I just 
studied this out not too long ago. I read a huge book about Napoleon. My goodness, that fellow had a he's a little man syndrome. I tell you what, good thing he was a nice-natured fellow too, amen? 60 battles, only lost four. And he was as polite as a day is long. You know, good thing he wasn't like Adolf Hitler or something, man. He would have massacred half the world. He was just a train wreck. And uh, definitely had an issue with his height, so forth and so on. But in 1812, uh, May, uh, or sorry, September 7th, 1812, the Battle of Borodino. The Battle of Borodino. So who cares? I know a lot of people don't care. But it took place near the village of Borodino, Russia. And uh, I'm going to give you just, uh, just a few statistics here. This is the French statistics that the historians wrote down. The French fired 60,000 cannonballs and 1.4 million musket balls. That's three cannonballs and 77 musket balls per second. That's just the French side. I have no idea what the Russians did. Soldiers had to keep their mouths open on the battlefield to stabilize the percussive pressure on his ears with all the flying iron. That's hard to reckon, isn't it? The Russian casualties were estimated at 52,000. One battle, French casualties were estimated at 35,000. You say, okay, uh, who knows and who cares? Well, while France won the battle, they failed to gain a decisive victory and destroy the Russian Imperial Army, allowing them to retreat back into territory that would be hostile to them again later on. Say, what are you saying? The battles get harder as you go along. They get harder. They get harder. You need to understand that. Not only is that the witness of Scripture, that's the witness of history. But you've got to remember that self-confidence on grounds of past experience is a disaster. Look at Joshua 8.15. 8.15. Now we're going to look at AI's position just for a second here. Now, if you're on the draft and the professional team and you're drafting these guys, uh, would you draft Israel? I'd draft them in a heartbeat, man. You'd win the Super Bowl every year. <laughs> if they had a team, I'd, I'd, I know this is terrible. I'd put all my money on them, amen? Joshua chapter 8, verse 15. I notice what happens here. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them. They pursued after Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel. And they left the city open and pursued after Israel. You see the picture? And they all fly out thinking they got them whipped because they had a good first half. And they're leading 36. I mean, if you're leading 36 to nothing at the half, that's going to be a pretty good game, isn't it? Most teams don't even score 36 points in a football game. But if you're leading 36 to nothing, I imagine you're probably telling, if you're the coach, you're probably saying, now, second and third string, get ready, get ready. <laughs> well, self-confidence, you know what it does? It drew AI out in the open in verse 16. And if you're going to be uh, self-confident on past experience, it's going to draw you out into the open. And when you're out in the open, it makes you easier to attack. It makes you easier to attack. Uh, Self-confidence drew AI away from their stronghold in verse 17. It drew them away from their stronghold. You know what your stronghold is? This book right here. You get self-confidence, think that you, because you had a, I had a good day yesterday, and therefore I'm going to take on hell with a squirt gun. It ain't going to happen. It draw you out in the open. It draws you away from your stronghold. And look at verse 19. It drew you right into an ambush. You see it? When you're self-confident and you're cocky 
and you think because you uh, uh, whipped this thing a time or two ago, uh, many times it leads you right into an ambush. That's verse 19. It drew Ai into an ambush, and it was all done in haste. Look at verse 15. Nobody thought about it. In verse 15, Ai did everything spur of the moment. You know what they call that? Shooting from the hip. Christians love to shoot from the hip, and they wonder why everyone's bloody on the battlefield. They're shooting from the hip. You can't shoot from the hip. You have to sit down. You have to get orders from your captain. You have to make sure you understand the orders. You have to follow the orders with complete obedience, and you can't get self-confident. You can't get cocky. You can't get overconfident because you won the battle yesterday. I probably read this thing before, May 9th, 1864. At the site of the Spotsylvania Courthouse, you had a Union general, pretty cocky. His name was uh, General Sedgwick. He was overseeing the placement of a battery direct to the rear of his entrenched 14th New Jersey Regiment while he was having a conversation with one of his uh, chief of staff and friend General Martin T. McMahon. They're approximately 1,000 yards from Confederate lines. So, of course, being that far from the Confederate lines, this Union general thought, hey, all is well. Ain't got nothing to worry about. And however, throughout the uh, <clears throat> two men's conversation, they were interrupted several times by stray bullets fired from rebel sharpshooters. Don't ever estimate them southern boys. I don't care if they got smooth bore muskets or not, man. I mean, they hit a pumpkin on a fence post at 1,000 yards. What happened next left a profound mark on the life of the young chief of staff in general as he recorded the re events in his log, and I'll read them to you. I quote, a man who had been separated from his regiment passed directly in front of the general. At the same moment, a sharpshooter's bullet passed with a long, shrill whistle very close. And the soldier who was then just in front of the general dodged to the ground. The general touched him gently with his foot and said, why, man, I'm ashamed of your dodging that way, and repeated the remark. Uh, they couldn't hit an elephant at that distance. The man rose and saluted and said good-naturedly, General, I dodged a shell once, and if I hadn't have done it, it would have taken my head off. I believe in dodging. <laughs> the general laughed and replied, All right, my man, go to your place. For a third time, the same shrill whistle, cause, uh, closing with a dull, heavy stroke, interrupted our talk. As I was about to res resume, the general's face slowly turned towards me, blood sputtering from his left cheek under the eye. In a steady stream, he fell in my direction. You say, what happened? Oh, he was overconfident. You've got to watch overconfidence. It'll end in disaster. You say, you tell me I should be on guard. You should be on guard. You say, you, you say I should be uh, a super careful. You should be super careful. You say, I should doubt everything. Doubt everything. <laughs> well, I just don't believe. It shows. Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he'll devour you whether he's got to do it a thousand yards with a sharpshooter or not. We're talking about being a winner this year. Let me give you this one. <clears throat> Always remember, if you want to be a winner this year, that enemies of great diversity can get together when it comes to uniting against Jesus Christ and the Bible. You see that? Enemies of great diversity can get together when it comes to uniting against Jesus Christ in the Bible. Look at Joshua 9, 1 and 2. you got to remember that this year. You're going to see people get together this year, and they're going to get together that hate each other's guts. They'll probably even do it in November. Amen? 
and they'll get together and they'll hate each other's guts, but they'll do it uh, when it comes to uniting against Jesus Christ in the Bible. The Bible says in Joshua 9, it came to pass when all the kings were on this side, Jordan, and the hills, and in the valleys, and in the coast, the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. Now that's all I'm going to say on that. You've got to watch that. People are going to get together this year that hate each other's guts, and they're going to get together when it comes to getting together against that book that you have in your lap or getting together against Jesus Christ. You can't forget it. Why? You want to be a winner this year. Now, let me give you this one. There's, uh, you got to remember here, if you want to be a winner, there's no victory without the sword of the Spirit. Look at Joshua chapter 5. Back to Joshua chapter 5. We're not talking about turning it over a new leaf. We're not talking about you trying harder, even though as the battle gets harder, you'll have to fight harder. You see, that's what you got to remember where the Lord gave you grace and maybe even some divine super intervention, uh, you know, in your life. Things now seem more difficult, don't they? Don't they? They do. You're like, I had victory over that back then. Yeah, the Lord was gracious with you then and he gave you divine intervention and it seemed easier, but now you have to fight harder because the battle is harder. But here I want you to see there's no victory without the sword of the Spirit. Joshua 5.13, it came to pass when, Josh, that when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, here it is, there stood a man over against him with the sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said to him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Isn't that something? There's a man there, and that turns out to be the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has a sword. And the victory would have been by what? The sword. And of course, you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know why Christians aren't victorious in their Christian life? They have this book, but they don't take it and they don't use it. We already preached on it. They have it. But if you're going to have be victorious this year, you've got to remember it's going to be done with the sword of the Spirit. It's not going to be done with a facelift. <laughs> oh, it might help me, Amen. <laughs> It's not going to be done with a facelift. It's not going to be done with a new suit of clothes. It's not going to be done with taking Dale Carnegie's course to how to win friends and influence enemies. It's not going to be taking a course on speed reading and better pronouns and better all this so forth. It's going to be the victory is going to come through the sword of the spirit. And you need that sword of the spirit. There is no spiritual victory with the flesh. You know why Christians are so frustrated at halftime? <laughs> They're trying to win a spiritual victory with the flesh. And it just wear you out. Now, I'm not going to say in your Christian life you'll never not be tired. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But if you're trying to win a spiritual victory with the flesh, not only will you not be victorious, but you'll be frustrated. Because you can't do it in the flesh. That Bible says over there, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So there's no spiritual victory with the flesh. And spiritual victory is only obtained by the sword of the Spirit and by walking in the Spirit. A lot of preachers like to spend time saying, you need to stop this and you need to quit that. Amen, I agree. Great preaching preacher. Don't drink, don't smoke, and all the other vices, and don't eat too many bags of Doritos. Amen, and don't, don't drink too much. Amen. If you're going to hit the one, you might as well hit them all. But you're not going to be able to do it on your own. Because once something has a hold of you, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to free you from it. 
too many Christians trying to stop doing something and they don't have the power of the Spirit of God and they can't do it and they get frustrated. That battle is going to have to be won with a it's going to have to be one with the sword of the Spirit. I'll give you this one here if you want to be a winner this year, and I do want to be a winner, and I hope you do. You always have to remember that the world hates any friend of Jesus Christ, even if they're neutral. Always remember the world hates any friend of Jesus Christ. Look at Joshua chapter 10 and verse 4. We preached on this a while, but we're looking at the scorecard. We're coming to the finish line here. Joshua 10 verse 4 says that all these kings, they get together. Because the Hivites, Hivites, the Gibeonites, they made peace with Joshua. And they say, come up unto me and help me that we may smite Gibeon. For hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Notice that? You know, the Bible says, 1 John 3, 13, it says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. You know, the frustrating thing about being a Christian sometimes is sometimes you get this cockeyed frame of mind that you actually want this world to like you. Well, I think they'll respect you if you have standards and you're consistent. I think they'll tolerate you, but they don't like you. Why? Because you belong to Jesus Christ. And that Bible is replete. You say, I don't believe that. That's because you don't take a strong enough stand for Jesus Christ to have ever had anyone come against you. All right, <clears throat> Bible says, 1 John 3, 13, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. And here's where the Christian gets hung up. It's in Luke 16, 13, the Bible says, no man can serve two masters. That's what it is. You can't serve two masters. So this is what a Christian does. He comes in this world. He gets gloriously saved. Amen. Praise the Lord. Pass the chicken, so forth and so on. And he comes into this world that hates him. And now he wants to try to get along with the world and get along with Jesus Christ. So he serves the Lord with the best he's got. And then he tries to turn around. He tries to serve the world and make sure you're happy and make sure you're happy and make sure Walmart's happy and make sure the doctor's office. Can't do that. You have to make up your mind. You either serve the Lord or you serve the world. You can't do both. If you, find, you show me a Christian who's really good at making the world happy, they're not making the Lord happy. Now notice this. Luke 16, 13, the Bible says, No man can serve two masters. And you have to remember that the world hates any friend of Jesus Christ, even if they're neutral. You say, well, I don't, I don't witness for Christ. I know you wouldn't say this out loud. And I don't pass out tracts. And man, I'm still having a rough... It's right. Even in your neutral, neutral state, you're not going to get along in this world. They hate Jesus Christ. And therefore, since you're part of him, they hate you. And let me give you something else. They don't even know that they hate you, but they do. Because you're part of Jesus Christ. I'll give you this final one. We'll close here. If you're going to be a winner in 2024, and I want you to be a winner, you have to remember that confidence is gained by overcoming sin. Confidence is gained by overcoming sin. Look at Joshua 10. This will be our last one this morning. I want you to be a confident Christian, but I don't want you to be confident in your Bible knowledge. I don't want you to be confident in how you were raised. Amen. Now, if you were raised right, there ain't no, no sense being disappointed in it. Amen. Thank God for it, right? 
Some of the greatest preachers that ever come out and the Lord used revival came from Christian homes where parents were willing to take time and invest in their children so that God could use the vessel that wasn't all marred up. That's the blessing of being raised in a Christian home is you have the opportunity to be used by God and not be uh, out in the far country and all dipped in hog dewy and stink and smell like the world. But here it is, confidence gained by overcoming sin. In Joshua 10, 24-25, the Bible says, And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua. We preached this a couple weeks back. Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with them, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed, be strong, and of a good courage. For thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom you fight. You see, they put their feet on the necks of those kings to, to crush the sinners. You want to get dogmatic about something in your Christian life to help you be victorious? Start putting the feet, your feet on your sin. Start putting that sin down here. Start putting your feet. That's domination. Start dominating that. They put their feet on the necks to crush the sinners. And then Joshua called, verse 24, for all the men of Israel to give them confidence in future battles. You see, you notice that confidence is not because how long you've been associated with somebody, right? Well, I've been here for 35 years. Okay, praise the Lord for you. Amen? I'm serious. I'm not being a jerk when I say that. But confidence, according to the scorecard of the King James Bible, comes by overcoming sin. It gives you confidence in future battles. He pulls all the men of Israel out. He has them put their foot on their necks. And all the men of Israel get confidence in future battles by taking care of that sin. Now here we're going to close chapter 12. And uh, here in the book of Joshua, and I'm not obviously preaching today a positive gospel. I'm preaching how to be a winner in the battlefield of every one of these points we've given you has been negative. You see, what you've got to remember, Christian, is it takes a negative playbook to produce a positive result. If you want to be a winner in the Christian life, you're going to have to fight. And you have to follow that scorecard that we just went through. It's all right through there. And you have to remember that you're not in charge of your own uh, victory. We are victorious. The Bible says we're more than conquerors. But the way you get confidence through all of this, the last one we just preached, is just by simply overcoming sin. And as we close this morning, I want to open up this altar to everyone to just come and talk to the Lord and say, Lord, help me be a winner this week on the battlefield for Jesus Christ. As I see it, the week has just begun. It's first down in 10. This is our huddle. We're going to break in a minute, and we're about ready to break. And I think the only thing the Lord's concerned about right now is what you're going to do with the place he's given you. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer.